0: Welcome to Episode 2 of Background Noise. The background noise today is coming to you from 16th Avenue in the northwest of Calgary. We've tried to vary our background noise, we have some interesting background noise coming up in this episode, but for now, we're actually dealing with cars and people and traffic. Just a perfect backdrop for us to talk about. What are we talking about today?
1: Well, we're talking about yet another competency that we feel we can extract from all these interviews that we do is keys to entrepreneurial success and love and happiness and world peace absolutely I don't know if you thought about this this is almost the epicenter between UFC your workplace and say my workplace you listened to my interview with Jamie Parker and Mike Wenslaw um, what did you pick up from it
0: I think that the key thing that I sort of found from it and you know we've touched on this last time but looking for the competency in everything that we do whether it's in class talking to our students or you know podcasts or just work with clients and the big one that stood out in in this episode was the idea of problem solving the fact is is that you've got entrepreneurs that have had to solve all sorts of problems just to start a business but then they also had to solve the problem of you know the challenges inherent with coffee roasting and the pretentiousness that's there matched you know with some utilitarianism that's there as well so it's an interesting kind of combination of things but really the idea of problem solving for us is something that is inherent to everything marketing. I just had a class today talking about market research and the first thing you do is to try to understand what the problem is. How are you going to research it? What are you going to look at? How are you going to solve that problem? So that's really what carried on for me sort of as a theme throughout this thing and I thought you know, that's really going to be helpful to people to see Sometimes in, in business, you just are always constantly solving problems. It might be something small, but it can also be something major. So,
1: I think that's the competency piece, too. It's, it's a micro look at it, as in solving a day-to-day fire that you need to put out, or a macro, such as you know, what, what new products do we bring to market this year, or which ones do we delete? And what's the first question we ask our clients when we first sit down, just to get to know who they are?
0: What's, what is the problem that you're solving, right? Because you have to solve a problem. It is everything to do with needs and understanding what it is. And I you know, I tell clients, I tell students, don't start a business until you know that you're solving a problem. You have a pain point that a customer has that you know that you can solve it.
1: And it was fascinating to me sitting there with these guys um, who met, well, they met at, at uh, Mount Royal University. Um, Boo. <laughs> hey. Mount Royalism represented on this bridge today. I guess we can say whatever we want. Exactly. Um, But but they really bonded as firefighters, like wildfire fighters. And Jamie Parker, who is one of the two founders that we talked to here, would actually bring beans out to camp with them. So these guys can bring only a few bare essentials. He brings coffee beans. And to this day, um, again, back to what you said about the problem they were trying to solve, bridging this gap between... You know, the Starbucks crowd and sometimes the Uber elitist movement of specialty coffee. To this day, these guys like, prefer their coffee from a percolator. And if they could roast it over a fire in their kitchen, they probably would. And equally fascinating was to be literally in the inner workings of their business, spectacular old building that they uh, that they gained access to lease last year. And they said they were holding up for this building more than any other. Um, on the south end of Inglewood, I guess more Ramsey. To be in the basement of that building while Scott Robinson is their, I think, roast master, he's literally shoveling beans into bags throughout most of the interview. Perfect. um, As they're telling their story. So could there be better
0: background noise? Shall we then listen to our newest podcast?
1: Yeah. So we're we're about to listen to Jimmy Parker and Mike Wenslaw of Calgary Heritage Roasting Company here on Background Noise, enjoy.
2: Uh, I was on a rappel crew for four years and Mike was on a unit crew for one year, so he's still a rookie actually, still a rookie. Um, And I got Mike into fire and that's kind of where we, we got to try our hand at uh, experimenting on our crew members. So I used to bring out green beans, roast them on the fire line and brew them up for the guys. I had my own crew that I uh, I was a leader for and, and when you're on longer stints, the guys get a little squirrely. They're kind of away from their families for the better part of eight months of the year. And, and coffee just seemed to be that one thing that would ease everybody's tensions and, and kind of, uh, yeah, lead into a good good day. The boys would get all pumped and they'd work hard. Let so. me try
1: to make sure I'm accurately reading this vision. So you're somewhere out in a remote location mm-hmm. yeah, roasting beans that you have purchased from yeah. part of the world
2: there's a, a shady site I used to find I don't know how I found green beans but it was like it's this shady site that I put my credit card in and somehow green beans would show up <laughs> it was like sweet Maria's or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I forget. it was back in the day um, this was what, 20 2015 2014, 14, 2014. Yeah, right. 2013 2014 was when I was doing it so Like even buying stuff online was kind of just really starting to get into into its steps so i used to buy green beans bring them out to a fire line there
1: when you say fire line tell me for for us uneducated what does that mean does it mean exactly what it sounds like exactly what it sounds like so
2: these are bigger campaign fires typically uh, that we would do it on and like fires such as fort mac uh, that's a big campaign fire so these these are complex fires and they take up over hundred thousand acres for the most part um, and there's different legs of the fire that are still burning or you're mopping up certain areas of these fires and that's where Mike's crew would come in uh, he, he sustained action so they would go into these big fires with big crews of 20 people and they would break up and start actioning different parts of that fire and these fires are massive and they're growing by the day as well so you'll have kind of Uh, certain crews on the front of the fire where they're still trying to contain it dozers Tankers all these guys and then people are trying to put out other parts of the fire Because if you have a wind shift on any given day And that's one side of the fire might just have a slow burn to it Even though the head of the fire is at a different location if you have like a a wind shift that day That fire will now span. Maybe it'll go from a hundred meter uh, fire head front eight kilometers of a, of a new head that'll sweep over and, and go so that's why you have people in different spots so we would all have different crews down the line and then you'd stop for lunch or whatever and roast beans and roast beans
1: so you're you're heading up to this site along with you know your bare minimal personal belongings for mm-hmm. such a journey and you've got some coffee beans in your backpack yeah
2: typically priorities right every (laughs) every leader has their own little shtick i would say they have their own little kind of like magic tool in their kit to like bring the boys together or do whatever some people have chewing tobacco that's always a good one um a lot of people a lot of people i don't they'll bring just different elements out as like a crew bonding item and that was something I decided to bring up.
1: And you guys met by this point? Yeah, Mike, yeah.
2: Mike and I met uh, a few years earlier in, in 2010 actually, at yeah. Mount Royal University.
3: Alright,
1: and so you had a passion for coffee. Did you share it at the same
0: time?
3: No. So the funny thing is when we, when we had first met and pretty much up until 20, that 2014, 2015 time span, um, I knew nothing about coffee. So Jamie and I met in university, we were both club heads, uh, presidents of our own respective clubs, and then just kinda we fondly say that we met on business terms first and then became buddies. Um, and we would just throw social events just to try to get people out and engaging and kind of that student body. What clubs
1: were you presidents
3: of? So I was outdoor adventure club because of uh, part of the ETAL program. Right. And then uh, Jamie was recreation crew for kids, so would raise money for kids who couldn't afford sporting equipment. So In these fundraising events at bars and clubs and stuff like that, we would take that money and then uh, donate it back. Mine for club efforts and Jamie's for recreation free for kids, not charity. I did it for kids sport. Kids sport. Fantastic.
1: All right. So there's already a couple of common threads to weave this story together. Yeah. Continue. So um, Fighting Fires, Coffee, Connection, the two of you, when does the entrepreneurial button get pushed that you decide to
2: begin this journey together. I think it was the fall of 2014. We were on a hunting trip in the Wilmore uh, just northeast of Jasper National Park. And uh, you can only hike in or horseback in to this, this area. Mike and I are avid outdoorsmen. Um, I was really trying to get Mike, it was his first year trying to get him into a, a little bit more hunting. He'd never grown up doing it, but he had a big interest in it, so I brought him out on probably one of the more rugged, I guess, <laughs> trips that you could go on if you're ever starting. And we we hiked in a day, uh, we set up camp, and then we were elk hunting from there. And I, I kind of had this, this, this epiphany idea where, Nothing tastes better than when you're in the outdoors. No experience, for the most part, is greater than when you're around people you love, having a great time, and, and it just so, somewhat seemed, we always use this analogy that, you know, when you drop a, a smoky in the in the dirt and it rolls around, you know, you pick it up, you put it back in your bun, doesn't matter, if you eat it, it tastes better than, than anything else that you could have in the city. So, that whole experience, I always wondered, when I grew up, you know, I remember my dad, we were camping, and. And I never drank coffee at the time, but I remember that percol- percolator, the blue enamel percolator, so fondly. And there's certain memories that we all have from our childhood that, when you see something, it instantly brings those 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 feelings and emotions back. And then I had, we were wondering like, how can you capture that, showcase it to your audience, and then create a product. Uh, a product that elicits an emotional response out of your customer. And we had looked at Calgary in general and we are like, the coffee scene here, it just seemed very pretentious, it seemed very uppity. It didn't seem like it was representing Calgary the way we felt that Calgary should be represented. We've grown up here our whole lives and here come these companies that are impressioning, impersonating, I guess, like Vancouver, Toronto, Portland um, coffee, which is great, but it didn't feel like it was our, our home. So that's where Mike and I really wanted to create something that we felt spoke true to what Alberta and Calgary is all about, and that's that outdoor rugged element. You know, it's true, and that's
1: why we're called Calgary Heritage. And when did that christening of the name take place along the chronology here?
3: Yeah. So originally we were going to be called uh, what is it? Cal- no, Calgary Cowboy Coffee Company yeah. C Four, uh, <laughs> but uh, someone else in BC had that name had like. Cowboy Coffee. Coffee Company already trademarked even though the business wasn't in, in
2: it was it still is oh. it's just like a little mom
3: and pop shop so, so we're like ah, I can't do that I'm kind of
1: glad you didn't
3: yeah yeah. so <laughs> are we Sorry. so then we kind of kept throwing names around and all this other kind of stuff and then Jamie calls me like one night and in a sweat and he's, like, he's like I have a moment. he's like I know it it's Calgary Heritage Rose Company and I initially hated the name <laughs> and I was just like I, I don't know like maybe and then it it just started growing on me and then we're like well look at all these other coffee companies out there all these other products but coffee specifically everywhere has a home and epicenter right so you have your seattle's basket kicking horse salt spring this that and the other thing but we didn't want to just have this ambiguous name you know like burlap coffee roasting you know what i mean like or wood table like what does that mean where does it come from so with this idea that jamie's talking about of this experience that elicits an emotional sponsor speaks true to what we think Alberta and Calgary are all about personally well we, we got to have a home we have to have that epicenter and so that's why the name has become synonymous with with that feeling
2: and and I think we we both like I come from a farming background my family they're all farmers and and you look at just the settlers and how they came to Calgary and I think we really wanted to embody some of that and we wanted to do cowboy coffee we wanted to we used to brew cowboy coffee on the fire line, that's the only way we could brew it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We used to like percolate coffee and, and we wanted to showcase these older school techniques and create a space where we could showcase it.
1: Real. And that space was obviously integral to the brand, to your launch, um, to, to putting a physical tangible place with the name and with who you guys are. So. Let's fast forward to this place.
3: I think, uh, as Jamie's kind of talking about, there was this huge level of perceived pretentiousness that existed in coffee. And one thing that we see too often and not, you know, someone with just flush with cash, thinks it'd be cool to open a cafe, creates this soulless vanilla box um, as a venture. And we, we had our chance, because we've been chasing this space down for what, three years now. Um, from when we had opened. Um, so, like, we went through multiple offers to lease, signed leases that fell through different developers, trials and tribulations, and we could have gotten an infill, you know, anywhere in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, as soon as we stepped foot in this space, it was the first spot we had ever looked at. Um, Let's knew, just pause
1: like, it because I want... This is a podcast, so maybe, Mike, you can describe... Where we are and what it looks like from the outside and what it looks like on the inside.
3: So it's the C.C. Snowden Building or Campbell Cornelius Snowden Building. It was built in 1907 um, and it was the first oil refinery in western Canada. So they used to refine and manufacture grease and soaps, oils, all that kind of stuff out of the space. Um, It has the original brick work um, and a lot of the furnishings. That are in the space currently are the original materials that were laid here. So
1: and the painted signage remains outside.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So kind of that stoncing on the front, um, the little parabola veranda side um, that was all original. Um, and we actually have it, photos uh, from the Glenmore um, archives um, or Glenbo, sorry, not Glenmore, um, dating back a fifty-year span from 1907 to 57, and it shows that the building remains untouched, added on, but relatively untouched, and we've kept a lot of uh, preserved history in the space. Um, So the tables upstairs, yeah, the original floor, so it's over a century old Douglas Fir. Jamie did um, all of the building um, in the space of building the tables, Uh, basically became a tradie for three months, Uh, was here every single day working. We did the demo ourselves, we have 80 hours in hand scraping the floors to get them back to their original virgin finish. Um, so people that came in the space 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, the, the space would look seemingly untouched, um, you know, throughout time.
2: If you've ever watched Peaky Blinders on Netflix, it's like one of those bars.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's heavy brick, stained paint, like on that brick, kind of, it's it's patina, it's not decrepit. Very Chicago style.
1: And yet it sounds like it was love a at first sight. It sounds like you saw it, and it had to be this. Yeah, Hence, yeah. your pursuit for three years.
3: Absolutely. Was there no other
1: place that was on the short list?
3: There was one on the short list, but it was. If I think, if we're being honest with ourselves, we were. C. C. Yeah, we were. We were so gravitated to this space because it has it already had a living, breathing soul, and and a ghost, and a ghost, which still exists here. Yeah. yeah. Um, weird stuff happens in an old building can't be described or explained my daughters would hear they would be riveted
1: and take the interview exactly in that direction <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
3: exactly
1: but i promise not to take up too much of your time yeah so if no. we have time left over we'll hit the ghost stories. yeah right?
3: exactly we'll leave it as a cliffhanger but uh yeah there's four safes in the space um and it's really cool because we've had people historians like practicing historians hobby historians come in and drop off You know, book spines from um, old advertisements from C.C. Snowden and the company in, you know, the late 40s and 50s. They actually had an oil called Sliptivity, And we've had people come in and they're like big history buffs looking at the safes. They're like, oh, this great safe. Like they just, every new person that comes in just adds a little bit more to the story for us. It's just it tells itself, I guess. Absolutely.
1: And everybody that comes in, even like me that has never set foot before. Um, can you close their eyes and imagine the stories that are being told still yeah. within these walls. Well, in
2: 1937, there was 100 women in here that were packing packing ammunition for World War II. So you, you hear stories like that from people, and you're like, "Wow, yeah, this place has a lot of history. It's pretty cool."
1: I mean, what a perfect place for a company called Calgary Heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, how did how did you retrofit? the roaster and manufacturing into yeah that complex. was uh that was a challenge of
2: its own we knew when we got the space we actually built a hole in the whole new floor there used to be a stairwell on the one corner where the roaster is right now and that led to the basement here um and so we had to rip out the entire stairwell we had to build out the floor so that it can sustain the weight of the roaster itself it's pretty heavy and then we decided to glass it in just so that it wouldn't the noise of the roaster wouldn't impede people's experience while they're hanging out because the roasters are pretty loud especially ours um so that's how we got that in here everything else in the basement for the most part it's all super laborious and manual if you just ask scott over there yeah. um that, everything's hand packaged
3: hand sealed um and kissed before it goes every out, single so. bean is kissed by Scott <laughs> and his dirty mustache
1: I've been wondering what all that puckering
3: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> um okay again stories that could go on forever so we may have to have a part two let's let's talk about the business aspect um and you you referred to this missing that you sensed in the market in terms of a, an authentic coffee hangout that represented calgary Mm -hmm. um so that's part of your value proposition i'm assuming what other problems are you solving if you look at this from a purity entrepreneurial standpoint what is the problem that calgary roasting calgary heritage roasting company is solving
3: yeah i think the biggest problem is this shift in the industry as a whole so within coffee you kind of have your first, to, to describe it and to understand it, you need to understand the quality of coffee. as uh, deemed up by three waves. So your first wave is your conventional, it's your pre-ground, low-grade, you know, mainly robusta species coffee that is your nabob, your folgers, that kind of stuff. And that was commonly used in North America by North Americans um, forever. And then this a resurgence of a higher quality i'm air quoting for the podcast but uh you know your starbucks your tim hortons um like your mcdonald's all this other kind of stuff so slightly higher quality coffee is now being distributed in a food service way so it's kind of b 2 c people can just buy cups of it buy bags and then now where we are at about five to eight years behind craft beer is uh specialty coffee or third wave Um, And that is an analytical standpoint of where a Q-grade, which is um, a Q-grader the same as a a sommelier for wine. Um, A Q-grade is an analytical quality scale based on 100. Um, All specialty coffee scores 85 or above. And that that Q-grade comes from the consistency, the processes, how it's grown, all this other kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, you have this analytically higher quality product that is being distributed. Now, the trend in specialty coffee or or third wave, um, as Jamie was alluding to, is to be very floral, fruity, acidic, bright, um, and exotic, bright, that kind of thing. So what's happening is we're going from this first wave chocolatey, you know, like these flavors of chocolate, savory, robust, whatever, but a very low quality to all of a sudden this like very jarring, polarizing, cilantro-esque kind of coffee, whereas if you compare compare that to beer, we went from, you know, your Labatt and Molson products to, you know, OJ's making their own blonde and red and stuff like that, to craft, where they had IPAs, and people are like, okay, this is wild, why is there soap in my mouth? And now, throughout time, these five, eight years, craft breweries have started to expand at such an alarming rate, now we have breweries that are only and solely making IPAs, just a variety of styles so what we're trying to do in a very long about way and the problem that we're solving is we are educating the average consumer the middle of the bell curve for people that are used to a flavor that is more savory robust chocolatey nutty smoky but elevating the quality that they're used to so we're bridging them in a more appropriate way in an easier less confronting way into third wave and specialty coffee or a higher quality product um, and by that, we're putting a high-quality premium craft product on store shelves to make it more accessible for consumers while educating them at the same time. Because this pretentiousness that Jamie talks about is is belittling a lot of the time. You know, we've heard stories of people going to the bar, grabbing a coffee, putting cream in it, and getting stared down by the breeze and just left feeling uneasy. Whereas we wanted to, you know, there's no dumb questions, that whole adage. Right? It's just... We're here to bridge that gap and explain why we care and explain why our cup of coffee is the way it is. So the problem we're solving is basically just kind of tearing down those barriers and just making it a more comfortable, approachable experience.
2: I would also just quickly like to touch on like there's really not a ton of IP to coffee. It's very old old product uh, you, there's a lot of different ways to roast it and and whatnot but at the end of the day it comes down to a, a total experience for the customer and i like it and mike and i like to think that we're an experiential coffee company so we're a lot more than just roasting a bag of coffee giving it to you No, you're getting the whole emotional feeling of calgary heritage you're getting the the experience of calgary of alberta you know we have our merchandise lines Um, a bunch of different things like you look at an Instagram page it's giving you a sense of feeling an emotional response not just a product
1: you're speaking like business majors (laughs) has this all been part of the journey in in collecting all of this um, business skill that you've you're speaking about here and yet at the same time it's very organic as well when you talk about a customer experience that's something they can teach in business school but it's 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 one of those things it's easy to say, difficult to do.
2: It's that's exactly it. I think like you can you can tell somebody in school until they're until you're blue in the face like this is how you should run a business and this is what you need to create, but until you can feel that and understand it and you know, you have that feedback from your customers and you have that feedback from the market, you won't understand it. And I think that's where you look at a lot of entrepreneurs, you don't need to go to business school to be an entrepreneur. You just start doing Mm -hmm. and you figure it
3: out along the way. I think it's if I, so when I was in school, obviously like my classes for ecotourism were like leadership based and they're like canoeing 101 and stuff like that. So any electives and options I had were always in entrepreneurship because I knew that was kind of the road I wanted to go down. But I found um, like... Um, not a ton of value in them and I don't know if that was my headspace at the time or just being able to like put that in that kind of teaching into a practical nature whereas I think if we were to go back and do our like you know like Probably business degree or something we would, curriculum. yeah what no, what well, we would <laughs> we would just find a lot more value in it now after going through it because when we first, like, I remember we were part of certain small business accelerators and uh, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that in order to start a business, you do have to be a little naive to the to, to trials and tribulations of that. Um, but I remember for me personally, when we went into District Ventures and we started our kind of cohort teaching and our mentorship, um, this was, you know, maybe eight months into business. I didn't know what cash flow was, truly, like I didn't understand it. And thankfully, Jamie does all of our financials. So that's why we're still here. But uh, these things that, you know, you learn along the way, these lessons like our ROI on our time, what was the true meaning of sweat equity? You know, we would go to markets and we would make X amount of dollars and we'd be like, you know, high-fiving each other. Okay, we're working in the cost of our product. Well, we made all this money. Well, we're not counting for our time. And, you know, these little lessons, these micro lessons you learn along the way.
1: I get the feeling... um Having been in here a couple of times, seeing the clientele, um, reading a bit about your story, that there's in, in addition to the um, the coffee education, um, the orientation around this third wave, as you describe, um, the customer experience. There's there's still a, a higher purpose mm-hmm. behind what you guys are doing, absolutely. Um, as as part of a, a central part of a community, can you speak to that a bit? what role do you have within this community
2: yeah that's a it's a big question um, I think there's a, a few things that we've, we've always done collaboration is a, is a big thing community and collaboration those are actually two of our founding values and uh, one thing we're, we're trying to do is a I think it's we've talked on it we've touched on it a few times is we're trying to show people what Calgary is about when people think of coffee in Calgary we hope that our name gets brought up first because if you need to experience coffee in Calgary or Alberta in general, and you want to see what that representation is like, we hope that we're the first name that's said. Outside of that, we do collaborations with a ton of different companies. We've done them with Wild Rose Village, uh, uh, uh Lavamy Soap. Um, Milk Jar Candle Co. So we try and do a lot of collaborative efforts to pump other companies up, not only helping ourselves out, but helping other companies diversify their product offerings and, and really that local sentiment. I think collaboration is huge and people love, love biting on that. That's a big thing that we've done. I think a, a big part that we've always tried to do with, with a community within our own four walls here as well is every long weekend we'd take off, we shut down the entire shop and we're big believers in getting out to the outdoors and, and you know live in the brand. Live in the brand. You can't just can't just front that you're you're this brand. You actually have to live that. And it has been a, a core value of ours from the beginning. Every year Mike Mike and I we we take off and from the beginning we have always gone on a hunting trip. And you know it seems pretty daunting when you open up your your company Uh, a week prior to going on this trip and then you go into no cell phone reception for five days or no computer and but you know what it doesn't burn down your company doesn't burn down and it is a huge thing and and we've seen it we've watched this payback and dividends with our staff our staff aren't depressed coming into work they love working here Mm -hmm. they like coming and meeting people and we're not on our staff either to where it's like what do they say if you have a minute You better be cleaning. Oh,
3: if you're if you if you have time to lean, you have time to clean.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like that's an old mentality I think a lot of businesses have. But we would rather our staff have a meaningful conversation with somebody, make them feel loved, make them feel wanted, then provide them a good drink. If we can get both of those, great. Mm -hmm. Right? And that that not only pays out on on the The staffing side, but it does on the experience side. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a little piece of community I think that I can touch on. We also are launching a new thing here in the new year. For every bag of coffee we sell, we're planting one tree. So we partnered up with the uh, a a company, a couple companies out of BC and Alberta, and the governments as well, where we are able to um, plant trees within those two provinces right now. Mm-hmm. So we're that's a big endeavor that we're, we're really looking to go towards in the new year, and, and that's exciting. And that's, a I guess, a bigger part of a, a totally different social good. Mike and I have always looked at this and we're like, you know, if we're gonna get back, well, how are we gonna get back? We never wanted to go to the, the classic charity route where we don't know where our money is actually going. We don't know how it's being dispersed. If there's one way that we can get back, well, what do we love the most? We love the woods. We mm-hmm. love the outdoors. How can we get back to that? Well, we can plant trees. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a big thing
3: that we're, we're now taking on as a, a social good endeavor. We have another one too that was born before we had four walls, because affecting community and culture and stuff like that is now made seemingly easier and more difficult within this space. But prior to having a tangible place that people could come is we had a, a program called Bubba's Buds. And effectively what it is is it's we trade coffee for stories, unsponsored stories. So we require a five to six hundred word blog uh, about a local adventure, whether you're weekend warrior, you're crazy hardcore, whether you don't even like the woods and you just have some cool things to do in Calgary, but things that will assist and grow our community to hopefully inspire and You know encourage them to go out and you know push their boundaries and and get outdoors because when we were in school or in university we we fondly liked creating those opportunities for people that maybe wouldn't do it on their own because they don't have you know friends that have the gear or the wherewithal or whatever it is so um the bubba's buds is this blog where you know people can write in these stories and hopefully it creates this little ecosystem where You know these individuals have access to that information and then in in return we we provide people with free product Um, and then the more you write the higher the tiers go so it starts off at just coffee bags and then it's merch and all that kind of stuff but is that still going on it is yeah yeah it's an integral part of the company Um, and you know within within working with other people other companies right that helps us create that community and that culture but this is another way that we want to kind of be that comfortable Resource for people, whether it's education about coffee, whether it's just a really comfortable place to come and work, or whether it's finding those kind of things that maybe you know give you that hobby or push you to do those things.
1: So you've built this little brand that is so well positioned in the market. You've got this gorgeous heritage building, and you've got a wonderful story, and you're giving back. So amidst all of this you are entrepreneurs you're a for-profit organization um what what kind of growth plans are consistent with where you're at now oh
2: man um it's so crazy because when you look at it like if you look back this is exactly where we wanted to be Mm -hmm. it really is and we've always set those targets um in our first year i remember like we only went through four sacks of coffee four sacks of coffee or it was less maybe three yeah and now we go through 20 plus sacks a month and like that's a huge growth curve um but we've we've we have done it seemingly or organic i would say um you know that words been beat to death yeah but we we've gone we, we just bite off in, in slow chunks you know in the Mike and I didn't pay ourselves for the first three years of opening our company. Mm-hmm. I was a school bus driver. Mm-hmm. Mike was a spin instructor. Well we worked these other side jobs just so we could make ends meet and recycle all the money that our company made back into the company and we paid our first staff member before we ever even long before we paid ourselves paid ourselves we paid our fourth staff member before we ever paid ourselves yeah um, and we've just been extremely conservative on that front and I think a lot of people don't realize that when you become an entrepreneur it's not,
3: it's not an easy path. It's, it's a race to see who could suffer the longest. That's exactly what it is. That's one of my like I love like adages and like, quotes. I gotta Chase. quote you directly. Yeah, no, that's yeah. yours. Perfect. <laughs> it's mine now. And
2: and kind of moving forward, we look to we wanna we want to elevate coffee in Canada, and we want to get our coffee on grocery store shelves across the nation. And we look to um, we have a. a we're running a brand new SKU lineup branded under CHRC this this coming spring, where we're launching in the Pacific Northwest, um, very outdoorsy inspired, um, and we're going to be launching that out there, and we're hopefully going to be pushing that brand nationally across across Canada. Are um, we already sell all of our coffee across Canada? Um, but this one is going to be, I believe, a staple. in Taylor's yeah.
3: I think for us the kind of the goals moving forward is as Jamie said like a very organic growth. We always go back to our value proposition internally. Like what do we want and how does that reflect our values and how do we feel about that? So we always we always make decisions based off of, you know, would we buy this? Would we be a part of this? Would we be excited about this? And then we find our niche because of that. Um, there's, as Jamie said, there's nothing proprietary about coffee. It's more so the brand. So in order to build a brand, it's a slow, arduous burn. And it's word of mouth. And it's connecting with each and every single person that, you know, walks through your door, meets you or any other sort of kind of stuff. And always giving them that authentic experience.
2: It's every demo at every grocery store you go into.
3: You can only grow as big
2: as your team is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it takes time. Yeah. That's a big thing an eighty-year-old tree, is an eighty-year-old tree, for a reason. For a reason, it took that long to get that big.
3: So we understand that, and we understand that you can't just throw money at, at you know this this perceived issue, problem, whatever you want to call it. It's not a problem, but you can, you just can't grow that fast organically. So, um, yeah, the goal is to always always be uncomfortable, always be pushing further than we think we can attain, um, because I think it's important for that to never be stagnant. Always flex your cash flow.
2: You should always be your guts should always be a little turning yeah because you're trying to bite off more than you can chew
3: exactly um but understanding that you have a really good support system and resources behind you and just kind of believing in yourself again that naive side comes back into it i could tell you full-heartedly 110 percent, that i don't think that we would ever fail and you know you could say that that's naive but i just have so much faith and belief in what we're doing here and our our skill set i know that you know Jamie and I would f- go get a job at McDonald's, you know, to take off our salaries to make this work. No problem. Um, but, like, where there's a will, there's a way. You are
1: paying yourselves now. I
3: we you. are, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to go to McDonald's.
3: Yeah, we're, we are, we're full-time. But I think, you know, to build that long-standing brand that...
2: Well, we would only go there so we can get our, our coffee in McDonald's. Yeah, exactly,
3: right? 100%. But we want to, I think we want to be synonymous with a household brand name you know like that has really positive views yeah, that's when we make it so yeah you get coffee everywhere and that's great people are drinking it but you know certain brand names that you say give you a certain visceral emotion you know like we want to be the Patagonia of coffee
1: I was just gonna ask you what you would like people to say about you in five years and you've just answered the question yeah perfect I, and I guess you you stumbled upon the um the analogy will only go into McDonald's if our coffee is there. Wouldn't that be sort of the big audacious hairy goal coming to fruition if, if a chain like that you never know. Um, you know, were to carry a brand like yours. I never
2: thought that we would partner with Wild Rose and sell two thousand liters of beer if yeah. that happened.
3: And in, in the I never stages. thought that we
2: would have a storefront
3: if that happened. I never thought that we would employ anybody and we have eight eight wage staff. And then we have, like, all these contract employees that help us out with demos. It's crazy to think about.
1: I have promised you a limit. I know you're busy. I've seen how busy you are today, (laughs) but I appreciate you giving me the time. Absolutely, thank you. Telling the story.
3: Yeah, appreciate it. Jamie
1: Parker and Mike Wenslaw of Calgary Heritage Roasting Company. You can buy a bag of their signature beans at a growing number of retailers in Calgary or online at calgaryheritageroastingco.com. Better yet, if you're in Calgary, visit them in person at their exquisite yet ruggedly refurbished heritage building at 2020 11th Street Southeast. They've also just created a national brand, Canadian Heritage Roasting Company, to push the same outdoor-loving attitude across the country. If you like what you heard here, please
0: subscribe and review. Thanks for listening to Background Noise. It means a lot.